I've got ex- who's, who's excited about heaven? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a great series for me because it's, it's refocused myself, uh, my life at least, on what's going on down here in, in my life. See, if heaven is foremost in your thoughts, then you start to live differently down here. The things that, that normally would bother you and overwhelm you don't overwhelm you anymore because your focus is on heaven. So before I do this, um, I have a song that I've written about heaven and I wanted to share it with you just because, well, mainly because I can. Um, but also hopefully, hopefully it rings true. This is... <coughs> the message of this song is simple. I'm destined for another place to start my home. Just passing through For I am destined for another place Where heaven's joy will soon be mine Yes, I am living for eternity But until that day I'll stay right here and shine Here I am on my knees I've got no agenda just got someone to please Feel like a father I'm rejected Peace alone. See, 
destined for another place. If you have a Bible, please open to 2 Corinthians 4. I've entitled this message, Why I Am Looking Forward to Heaven. But I could have called it, Why I'm Dying to Get to Heaven. Because I am, and so are you. Haven't you heard? We are all dying. We're just in different spots, just in different stages. Uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I heard about a guy who's a Christian guy, Christian wife, she was dying of cancer. And it got towards the end of, end of her life. Some of you walked this road. And he said to her, what's it like? One morning she woke up. He said, what's it like waking up every morning knowing you're going to die? And she said to him, what's it like waking up every morning pretending you're not? Because we are all going to die. All of us. We don't talk about it much. You don't get cards saying, Merry death, happy dying, have a nice time. You know, we don't talk about it. We, as human beings, we don't want to talk about it. But it is one of the things in life, one of the few things in life where we are all going to share in it. All of us. Unless the Lord returns. So this life we live, everything we see and do is just chapter one in an eternal book. And uh, it fills us with expectancy and, and it should, if we, if we study this properly, it should get us excited about eternity. And we sh- it should change the way we live here. I want to live my life with expectancy. I want to live my life that, that, that I can endure anything because my focus is on heaven. And it makes all the difference. It really does. Um, I want to be able to suffer anything without losing heart or losing hope. Is anyone with me? We live in a world that, is, that has had hope ripped out from under it. Is anybody suspicious that every time there's a news bulletin, there's a new thing to worry about? If it's not COVID or climate change, it's war, it's something... Like, people are perpetually fear, fearful. And I think we can stand like a beacon shining in, in the middle of that and say, you know what, I've got hope. Because if, I, if my eyes are on eternity, it doesn't matter what goes on down here. Look at what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4. Let's have a look at it together. He writes, so we do not lose heart. Some of you here are losing heart. Don't give up. I'm telling you, hang on. God's just coming through for you. Though our outer self is wasting away. How many of those who feel like your outer self is wasting away? Just a few of you. Not too many young people with their hand up there. Some of us oldies do though. Our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction, that's what he calls our problems, our conflicts, our difficulties, our light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What's he saying? He's saying, whatever you're going through now, don't worry because you've got a destiny in heaven. You are destined for another place. But what if I've got to suffer down here by not having a job? Doesn't matter, you're destined for another place. What if I've got to be sick, Lord? Doesn't matter, you're destined for another place. Just trust in whatever happens. We know suffering happens in the world. It's not God's fault. The devil is plenty active around the place, but I'm telling you now, if you look towards eternity, you can suffer anything. I remember being, uh, being away and being in India, and that was suffering, I'll tell you. Man, you guys just came back from Thailand with all sorts of 
stuff going on in your body. Man, I was in India, and some of you have been there, and and we had it was terrible. It was it was hot. It was dusty. It was it was very uncomfortable. My stomach was rebellion. My my stomach was was saying no. Don't put any more of that stuff in there. And their cure for everything was chili. Because if it doesn't kill you, you're doing good, you know. And so I was in India, but. I knew I had a plane ticket for a week's time. And that's what got me through that week. It doesn't matter how bad it got. I was going home. I was destined for another place. And that's how we should be with life. You know, some of you here are losing heart right now. Life is hard. You're overwhelmed. You're, you're depressed. You're down. But when we take our eyes off our circumstances and place them back on heaven, we get a completely different perspective. So why am I looking forward to heaven? Well, Jesus told us that we face persecution and and troubles in this life. And last week, we looked at being an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. If you're an ambassador, they might put you in a horrible, smelly, stinky place, but you don't care because it's not your home. You're destined to go back to your home country. You put up with it because if you're an ambassador, you're going to get some sort of difficulty in your life. And trust me, if you stand for Jesus Christ in this world, you're going to get attacked. And increasingly so. But Jesus said this in Mark 10. Listen, Jesus said, truly, I say this to you. There is no one who has left house, which is all your possessions, everything you own, or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children, which is all the relationships you've ever known, or lands, which includes income, business and and means of employment, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold, now in this time, a hundredfold. You say, that's brilliant. But then he says, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution. I don't want hundredfold of that. I'd like hundredfold of the other. And in the age to come, eternal life. You see, in Australia, we're about to face, I believe, persecution on a scale we have never experienced before. And they're not going to persecute the guys who roll over and play dead to all of their dumb ideas that they bring through Parliament. You know... If someone thinks they're a cat, they're now a cat. Well, sorry, you're not. You know, like DNA, ever heard of that stuff? You know, so, but they want us to adhere to these ideas. And some Christians, some denominations are bowing over and giving into this. But if you stand for what's true, they're going to attack you. They're going to say you're prejudiced. They're going to call you a bigot. They're going to call you all these names. And it doesn't matter. Because we're destined for another place. I don't care. Don't care what the, I'm okay with any persecution that comes my way because my eyes are not on this world. My eyes are on Jesus and what is, what is ultimately our destiny together. And he promises a hundredfold divided between now and eternity. So don't expect to receive all of your blessing now. Most of the reward is kept in heaven because that's the stuff that lasts. And it's a hundred times more than anything you leave behind the problem with the current society (coughs) is that we want everything instantly these days we want to snap our fingers and we want it to happen you know we we flick a switch we expect a light to come on or electricity to run not all the world gets that we get that everything is instant in our society i was telling the the uh, uh service before i heard about a microwave tv so you can watch 60 minutes in two minutes and then you can get on with something else. We are so busy. We're so rushed, aren't we? 
How many, true confessions. How many of you get on the motorway or on a road somewhere and the guy in front is doing the speed limit and you're going, come on, go faster. Because I, I was thinking of moving to Germany so I could drive on roads with no speed limit. Oh, awesome. But we're like that. We want to rush through everything. We want everything straight away. We're not prepared to work or wait. But as I sang before, I'm destined for another place. Remember, God creates your eternal character in a crock pot, not a microwave. And he'll let you simmer all day if that's what's needed to bring out the best in you. So most of what people believe about heaven and hell is in fact false. It's a mishmash of what Hollywood feeds us and what we glean from YouTube clips. But as I've outlined in the series, the Bible has quite a bit to say about it. Doesn't doesn't get specific, but it gives us lots of wonderfully tantalizing glimpses. What I do know, though, is that I am actually looking forward to dying because this is not my home. I'm destined for another place. No matter what I suffer in this life, Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. As believers, I imagine... Our first glimpse of heaven is going to be incredible. Um, This is what I'm looking forward to. That one day I will step out of this body, and I don't know about your body, but mine is kind of breaking down. And and the the bad bit is it's, it's breaking down and getting bigger at the same time. Bigger around here, breaking down up here. Doesn't really equate, but anyway. And and I'll, I'll be able to step out of this body into heaven. And when I get to heaven... I want you to think, just think for a moment, what your first glimpse of heaven will be like. (coughs) Can you imagine it? The closest thing I can get towards explaining it is when I went diving for the first time. If you've ever been diving, I went down under under the water and everything I saw was a different shape and a different color and was amazing. And just when I thought I'd seen it all, I'd come around the corner of a rocky sort of corally outcrop and I'd see something else that was amazing colors and shapes it was it was incredible it was like being in the garden of eden i wanted to name everything like adam did till i realized someone else had beat me to it but but that's what heaven's going to be like that first you know when we first see heaven we're going to be amazed and we're going to be delighted our first our first glance will just will just gasp in amazement i believe And that will be followed by many more gasps of amazement as we encounter new sights in an endlessly wonderful place. You see, heaven will not be boring. It will not be church services and 87,000 verses of a hymn you don't like. That's not what heaven's about. Heaven is not about sitting on a harp or sitting on a harp playing a cloud. Sitting on a cloud playing a harp. Someone said to my wife, Darren's an angel. She said, yeah, he's always harping on about something. So... But that, we're not going to sit on clouds playing harps. Heaven is going to be exciting. It's going to be wonderful. And heaven is just the cruise ship taking us to the greatest destiny in the universe, which is going to be the new heaven and the new earth. I mean, you, we can't wrap our head around it, but it's going to be amazing. And most of us are in no hurry to get there. Anybody in a hurry to get to heaven? Not really. And many of us have questions about it. We wonder, we ponder, we're a little scared. So to finish up this series, I wanted to answer 10 commonly asked questions so that by the time you leave this auditorium this morning or by the time you finish watching online, you will know that you are destined for another place and that's heaven.
I want you to, and I want you to be excited about it. Because if we get excited about heaven, it changes everything down here. Everything. Every view of everything, it changes. So let's run 10 commonly asked questions. Number one, what can I get away with on earth and still get to heaven? I'm not saying who asked the question. I'm just saying it's been asked. But if you're asking this question, you are asking the wrong question. Let's get this right, right at the outside, right at the start. You are saved by faith. By faith. God's grace, your faith. um, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. You are saved through faith. There's nothing you can do. There's no accumulation of good works you can do that will get you saved. You are saved by faith. That's it. You just have to accept the gift. You don't have to do anything. But you're not saved through your works. But when you are saved, good works are a natural outcrop of that. It's it's just the way things go. Because you're trying to please God by living a holy life. You know, you're not trying to get away. If you're saying, how do I get away with sin? You're asking the wrong question. If you're saying that, chances are you're not even saved in the first place. If that's what's filling your mind, thinking, what can I get away with? And as human beings, we bargain all the time, don't we? You know, we bargain all the time. We, we, we try and, you know, you go to a, a market somewhere. They say this thing is $30. You say, I'll, I'll give you 20 for it. No, no, it's, I couldn't take any less than 25 How about 23 You know, we do this all the time. You can't bargain with God. You are either saved or you're not saved based on faith alone you receive his gifts you're saved but if you're saved you naturally do want to please him by doing good works uh, in the rest of your life works don't save you they're an evidence of your salvation so learning about heaven and the new earth should fill us with expectancy it also makes me want to make every post a winner remember we saved by faith in christ not by what we do but then what we do reflects our heart If we don't want to do things to please him, we don't love him. The Bible says that, 1 John 5 verse 3. Don't blame me. The Apostle John said this. It's not me, it's him. Blame him. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. We think it's it's a real burden doing, doing the right thing. It's not. It's a wonderful thing. It's far better than doing the wrong thing. It's far safer. Your conscience is at peace. And remember, we will all be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, not for salvation, but for rewards. And those rewards will last for eternity. And believers whom God has blessed in his present life, like most of us in our society, who have been less than faithful with those blessings, will find one day God will flip the script. It's not what you can get away with and still get to heaven. It's what can I do to please you because I'm going to heaven. Do you follow the difference? So we should never say, what can I get away with? We should say, what can I please you with, Lord? Secondly, will we miss our old lives in heaven? What a great question. Not really. Have you ever bought an, an economy ticket on an airplane and been upgraded? Put your hands up if you have. The rest of you all need to pray more. Because it hasn't happened to me often, but it has happened a couple of times. And if you're upgraded from from economy to business class, 
when, when that happens to you, do you spend your time wondering what's happening back in economy? Do you say, gee, I really miss having my knees up around my ears. I really miss the kid in front, you know, thumping the back of my chair, sort of the kid behind thumping the back of my chair. I really miss the quality cuisine. You don't think that at all. Why? Because you're in business or first class and the food is amazing and the leg room is incredible and you can lie down and you can travel to Europe asleep. Really cool. That's why it's five times the price of economy. That's why I never fly. But you never think, what am I missing back there in economy? Listen, the upgrade from earth to heaven is vastly superior to that from economy to business class. Everything good from our old lives will be available to us in heaven in spades. Why? Because we will experience all that God intends for us when we get to heaven. I talked last week about bucket lists. We say, oh, I've got to do this, a bucket list. A bucket list is a, is a, a series of experiences you want to have before you kick the bucket. That's why it's called a bucket list after the movie, the bucket list. But Christians, we don't need bucket lists. You know why? Because if we don't do it in this life, we get to do it in the next life. And probably better, bigger and better. So I, I don't need to climb Mount Everest. I can fly around it one day. You know, you've got to realize, well, look at what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 5. While we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Some of us groan more than others. Uh, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. We think we're alive. We're not. We're mortal. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. See, the proof that we are going to heaven is because God gives us His Holy Spirit as a guarantee. In fact, in Greek, the word means a first installment. If you love Jesus, if you've given your heart to Him, if you're obeying Him, then you get heaven in your heart right now and you are destined for another place. You don't need to worry about it. You get, and it's, and it's, not, it's not like a promissory note. It's a down payment. It's the first down payment of heaven. So when you worship here and you, you love God and you sense something in your spirit leaping, that's what heaven's going to be like on steroids. How good is that? Ephesians 1 verse 13, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee or the first installment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. We will miss nothing of our former life. The heavenly life will be spectacular and much better. You think you have fun. You, man, I can't wait to get to heaven. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be off the charts. Paul writes this, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. I can imagine quite a bit, but it'll go off the charts. God has prepared this wonderful place for us called heaven. Three, will we, will we become angels in heaven? People often say about deceased loved ones, especially children, oh, they're, they're my little angel in heaven. That's a nice sentiment. It's not true. It's absolutely wrong. Death is relocation of a person, not remorphing of them. I often say when I run funerals, my favorite um, passage when I run funerals for Christians, 
as we have for Doug just towards the end of last year. I quote, originally D.L. Moody said it, then Billy Graham said it. So I'll use Billy Graham. Billy Graham was interviewed not long before his death and he quoted D.L. Moody and he said this, one day you will read in the newspapers that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe it? I'll be more alive than ever. I've just changed address. See, that's what, when we go to heaven, we just change address. We don't become something we're not. We just change address. So if you want me after I die, that's where I am. No longer in West Wombai. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. We don't morph into angels, but we do get to hang out with them. I would love to hang out with the angels, wouldn't you? Not the band, not those angels, I mean the other. Although that would be quite cool. Shadow boxer, you know. 2 Corinthians 5, we are of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, which sounds like a TV show, but it's not, we make it our aim to please him. You see, that's the sentiment behind it. We want to please him. Number four, will we be tempted in heaven? The answer is no. What could tempt us? Innocence is the absence of sin. If God allowed sin into heaven, heaven would be hell. Heaven would be a place you wouldn't want to be because sin would be there. John describes our eternal destination in Revelation 21 like this. Nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, and if you've got a problem with these verses, with some of the things listed here, don't take it up with me, take it up with Paul. Because he says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Unrighteous? Goodness me, I wonder who he's... Who's included in that? Oh, let me list them for you, says Paul. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, uh, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of of God. Israel Palau got in trouble for quoting that verse because folks didn't like the homosexual bit. I didn't say it. Take it up with St. Paul. He said it. But he's not singling out homosexual. He's singling out sinners, people who are in sin. So if you have any of those sins, which all of us have at some point had at least one of those, we have to come to Christ and let his blood cleanse us, don't we? That's what it's about. We will never forget the ugliness of sin, however. Having known death and life, why would you go back to death? We will never be deceived into thinking that God is withholding something good from us or that sin is in our best interest. We will always know that sin has a cost. You know, the only man-made thing in heaven, the only man-made thing in heaven is the holes in Jesus' hands, feet and side. It's the only thing man-made in heaven. But every time we look at those, we'll remember the price he paid for us to join him for all eternity. We'll see sin as God does. We, it will be stripped of its illusions. We will find it utterly unappealing, even absolutely disgusting. Sin is not that flash, folks. That's a lie from the devil. Number five, will we have to work in heaven? Some of you say, of course we won't, because work's a, a, a word I don't like. Yes, we will have to work in heaven. Back in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 2, says the Lord took the man out and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Even God worked. God worked six days. He did not go to the Bahamas on the seventh. 
and you never hear from him again. He rested on the seventh, so rest is good, but work is also good. Work is part of the original plan. And God is a worker. Jesus said in John 5, my father is working until now and I am working. See, Jesus found great satisfaction in his work and so will we in heaven. Work will not be hard, draining or boring, which is what your current work probably is. It will be fulfilling, exciting and satisfying. It will be enriching, never drudgery. We'll create, accomplish things, set goals, fulfill them to God's glory. Have you ever done some sort of work and you sit there and you look at it and you go, you know what? I feel pretty good about this. Have you ever done that? You look at your work and you say, this is pretty good. I know people who love gardening. You know, they work hard and, and, and that, this is not my philosophy. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, a God-centered gardener. So I just I put in the ground. It's God's problem from that point on. And, and if it looks bad, it's his problem. It's not my problem. But some people love gardening. And so when you've created this beautiful garden, don't you have some satisfaction when someone comes in and says, this is wonderful. That's what work is going to be like in heaven. It's going to be satisfaction on steroids. Number six, will we experience emotions in heaven? Of course we will. God is emotional. God is happy, sad, you know, moved. People will experience all sorts of wonderful emotions, but only the good ones. All the bad ones, all the sadness and misery and all that. We don't get that in heaven. But the good ones will be amplified. We're told of banquets, feasts, laughing and singing. Um, Jesus said in Luke 6, Blessed are, Luke 6, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Will we cry in heaven? No, we won't, except tears of joy. was tell, telling the service before, I was flying to a crusade with the Bill Newman team, and it was in Darwin. I remember it very clearly. I was sitting beside our sound guy, and kind of a macho-looking guy. And Anyway, we were watching movies, you know, in the back of the headdress sort of thing, and I was watching Mr. Holland's opus. Who's seen Mr. Holland's opus? Okay, and it got to the end, and he's doing the opus, and... It was, I was embarrassed. There were tears rolling down my cheek. It was, I was so moved by it. And so I had to kind of go like this because I had this guy sitting. I'm looking out the window and pretending, you know. I didn't want him to see my tears. But, but you can have tears of joy. I wasn't crying because I was sad. I was crying because my emotions were moved. It says in Revelation 21, He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. If you cry at all, it'll be for joy. It'll be because you're so moved. The tears we have down here are mostly for sin and, and pain and death and suffering and all that sort of stuff. But you won't get that up there. But you might, you might cry a little when you see the people you love. Do you think? When we get to heaven, the first person I want to see is Jesus Christ. And I want to worship him and thank him for all that he's done for me. But after that, I'll go looking for mine, you'll go looking for yours. And, and, and the ones who've gone before us, my dad will be up there. I want to go fishing with my dad again. And I'm a terrible fisherman, but he was amazing, right? So the people we love will be there. It will be a time of, of, of joy. There's no more pain, no more sorrow, universal joy. Do you think you'll get a bit emotional? Will there be emotions in heaven? You bet when you see the people you love up there. Number seven, will I have perfect knowledge in heaven? God alone is omniscient. When we die, we see things far more clearly, for sure. 
but, but we'll, we'll know much more than we know now, but we won't know everything. Some people say, I want to know everything. Sometimes you don't want to know everything. You know, there are some things you don't need to know about. Did you know that? I don't know what happens when I hit the button in the toilet. I don't want to know. Some things I don't want to know about. I'm just going to trust they work until they don't. But we'll never know everything as God does. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. See, in heaven we will know fully our relationship with God. We will see things that are presently dark and misty, but that doesn't mean we will be flawless. It doesn't mean, see, not knowing everything isn't a flaw. It's part of being finite. 1 Peter talks about things that angels long to look at. See, angels don't know everything. Angels are, not, uh, angels are flawless, but they're not infinite. They are finite. They are created beings like you and I. We should expect and long for greater knowledge as, as the angels do. And we'll spend, here's the cool bit, if you like learning, you will spend eternity gathering more and more knowledge. How good is that? So if you like learning, it'll just keep rolling. There will always be something fascinating and, and endlessly interesting in heaven. So I get excited about that. I like doing that stuff. Number eight, will we recognize each other in heaven? Of course we will. There's n- scripture gives no indication that we'll get a memory wipe. We're going to be the same people. We're just going to be perfected. And that's great because there are people up there we want to see, isn't there? There's people you love, people I love, that we want to see and we need to recognize. And Paul anticipated being with the Thessalonians in heaven because he knew them. And the Bible teaches that we will recognize people in heaven. And what's more, it also teaches in Hebrews 12 that that when you're in heaven, you can look down and see what's happening on earth. I'm not making this stuff up. In Hebrews 11, there's the great list of faith. Do you remember all the guys who by faith this and by faith and they list off all these incredible people of faith. Then you get to verse 12 and it starts this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who are they? All the ones have gone before us are witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us. We, it's like we're in the stands and we're looking down and, and, and when we're in heaven, we'll be able to see things happening on earth with the people that we love. We won't be able to change it. When I'm in the stands watching a football match, I can't get down there and change it. But I can watch it. I can cheer my team on. I'm hoping there's a few guys in heaven right now that are in my corner cheering me on. Because you know, we'll be able to see not only each other in heaven, but we'll be able to see what's happening on earth. Number nine, will we be bored in heaven? Now, heaven is not like one of my sermons. You will not be bored. It is endlessly incredible. But sometimes people say, and you might have heard people say this, I'd rather be having a good time in hell than be bored in heaven. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Hell is misery. Heaven is wonderful. You will not be having a good... You won't be with your mates in heaven. I say, oh, I'll get to hell. I'll get to hell. I'll break out a pack of cards. We'll play a few games. have a few stubby... No, you won't. It's loneliness. It's endless repetition of you thinking of all the times you could have asked Jesus into your life and you didn't. 
It's horrible and it's for all eternity. But notice behind the question or the statement, I'd rather be having a good time in hell than to be in heaven. The underlying assumption is that sin is exciting and righteousness is boring. And that's exactly what the devil wants you to believe. Exactly. He wants you to think that when you, when you become a Christian, you've got to give up this lifestyle you have. I don't give up my garbage, folks. I throw it out. I don't give it up. I give up nothing to become a Christian except a sinful, horrible, degraded person. So don't think you've got to give something up to become a Christian. You don't. Become a Christian fulfills you. You see, the underlying assumption in that statement is that sin is fulfilling. But in reality, sin doesn't fulfill us. It robs us of fulfillment. Listen, if sex was fulfilling, then the most fulfilled person in this world will be a prostitute. And she's not. The Bible says, oh, you need to do this to be fulfilled. No, you don't. You can be well fulfilled without going down that route. If drugs were fulfilling, the most fulfilled person in the world will be a drug addict. And they're miserable because it's not fulfilling. Sin doesn't make life more interesting. It makes it more empty and more miserable. I promise you there is fulfillment when we see God as he truly is. An endless reservoir of fascination. Boredom becomes impossible. If you think sin is fun, try righteousness. It's really cool. No regrets, no looking over your shoulder, no fear or loss or hurt or addiction. In heaven we will be filled with joy and eternal pleasures. Psalm 16 says this, In your presence there is fullness of joy, at your right hand is pleasures forevermore. Joy and pleasure, that's what awaits us in heaven. Don't fall for the lie that you've got to give stuff up. Because you don't. You chuck it away. Heaven will be new, exciting, and endlessly fascinating. Imagine the best things in this world, mountains, oceans, natural beauty, all amplified beyond comprehension. That is heaven. And it's not even our final destination. That's just the cruise ship, which is pretty cool, but it gets better. And until we can experience heaven, until we can get to heaven, we can experience heaven in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We really can. I believe that. But what, when the Holy Spirit is in your heart, you know you're destined for another place. You're not destined for here. We need to stop living like we are. Number 10. This one's a touchy one. If our loved ones are in hell, won't that spoil heaven? I actually uh, was reading Randy Alcorn's take on this, and it's really important. In heaven, we will see clearly that God has revealed himself to every person, that he gave every opportunity for every heart to seek and respond to him. You won't mourn for decisions that others have made, neither should you carry the burden for them. Remember, in Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. No more mourning, no crying, no pain, for the former things have passed away. So let's get this right, folks. We all deserve hell. (coughs) Not a single one of us is good enough that we can get to heaven. Not one of us, me included, you included. We all deserve hell. But Jesus came and paid the price for us. All we have to do is accept him. And his righteousness is imputed to us. What it sh- what we should, instead of wondering if we're going to mourn for people who we love who've made the wrong decision, why don't you make sure you share the gospel with them down here? 
Make sure that they make the right decision. I was um, sitting by the, the bedside of my auntie as she was dying. And I started the conversation because I wanted to lead her to Christ. And I started the conversation this way. I said, I am going to heaven and I want you to come with me. Will you come? And she said yes, and she gave her heart to Jesus right there on her deathbed. Two hours later, she was dead. So share the gospel now with the people you love. I know you don't agree with all the decisions that they make, but love them anyway. And share the gospel with them, the good news that Jesus died for them. But never take responsibility for what they decide. In 1 Timothy 2, it says, God our Savior who desires all people to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. All people. It is not God's will that any should perish. God wants them all saved. But they're not all saved because they refuse it. You should not should not rather shoulder responsibilities for the things you have no control over. I talk to Christian parents all the time about this. They say, my son is doing this, my daughter is doing this. You know, they've gone off into drugs or they've, you know, uh, fallen pregnant or whatever it is. And they, and they bear responsibility for that. No, no. I say to them, you, you are not responsible for this. We live in a culture that wants to blame everybody for everything that goes wrong, don't we? And it's been that way since the beginning. As I often say, you know, when, when, when mankind fell in the Garden of Eden, right? God said to Adam, what's going on? Adam blamed his wife Eve. Eve blamed the snake. Snake didn't have a leg to stand on. But there you go. They, every, the, the blame game's been going on ever since. We just pass it down the line. So it's never my fault. It's always someone else's fault. Folks, we've got to change that in our society. We've got to man up or woman up or whatever you identify up <laughs> and take responsibility for the things that we do. We're happy to take the good ones. We don't want to take the bad ones. If you have a child who becomes a drug addict, love them, support them, tell them about Jesus, but don't blame yourself for decisions they have made. Stop blaming yourself. Okay? It's really important that you don't blame yourself. It is their decision. When a child is young, yes, you have responsibility for decisions that they make and consequences. But they reach an age where they make their own decisions and you should not shoulder that responsibility. You're not responsible for what your sister or your brother decides or your children decide or your parents decide. Each one will give an account of their sin, says the Bible. If they choose the wrong way, don't shoulder it. It's not your responsibility. You can care, you can love them, you can do your best, uh, but, but many will just choose to, to die in their unbelief. Matthew 7, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. But the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. C.S. Lewis said, I mentioned it uh, the other week, he said, he said, the road to hell it's just the slow, gentle slope. They, they just kind of start sliding and they can't get off unless you share the gospel with them and give them a chance. And if they reject that chance, don't shoulder the burden. They have to give an account. So let me finish with this. What should I take away from this message? In this series, uh, we've explored what, hev- what the Bible teaches about heaven, hell and eternity. And if you sit here this morning and say, well, that's nice. That was a nice message then I failed because I don't want you to think it's nice. 
I want you to realize that the life you live right now is chapter one in an eternal book. And, but the decisions you make now will have ramifications. They will echo through all eternity. They really will. That's the Lord ringing to confirm it on that phone. I can hear him now. But it's an important chapter because the decisions you make echo for all eternity. I want you to go away from this series empowered and inspired. And I want you to know where you're headed and absolutely 100% positively know that you are going to heaven. If you're not sure, we need to change that immediately right now. Because we want you in heaven with us. Heaven is going to be amazing. Heaven is going to be incredible. But if you're not sure, let's make sure today. I want you to be inspired to serve the Lord and make the most of the time that you've been given. Don't waste your life just pursuing your own agenda. Most people, in this is what the world preaches out there. Get out there, be a success, get lots of money, you know, drive an electric car, do all the, you know, save the world, all this. This is what the world preaches. But I'm telling you, all of that stuff is passing away. It's not eternal. Heard the story of a two boys sitting on a hill watching a funeral procession, big funeral procession. One says to the other, whose funeral is that? And the first one says, oh, that's the local millionaire. Really, says the second boy. How much did he leave behind? The other one said, all of it. All of it. Shrouds don't have pockets. If you want to be successful in life, fix your gaze on, on eternity. Because that is going to last forever. Our friend Doug, your dad Doug, dear friend of mine, passed away towards the end of last year. He didn't have a lot of earthly possessions, but I tell you what, he was racking up some possessions in heaven because he prayed, those, those of you who knew him, right? He prayed and he prayed and he was a godly, righteous man. And I'm looking forward to meeting him again. I tell you, he racked up something incredible in him. Don't waste your life doing stuff down here that's going to go and finish. Hebrews 12, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. You remember all of that? And it, and it says, we are looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, at the throne of God. See, Jesus had eyes for eternity. He didn't sit around saying, Oh, my goodness, you know, I'm just going to buy, buy a house. He didn't have a house. He didn't have a car. No one had a car. He didn't even have a chariot, right? But Jesus had his eyes on eternity. And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Not my will, but yours be done. His eyes were on eternity. He knew what was coming. He knew the suffering he was about to endure. He knew the pain that was coming his way. But it says he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. See, he had his eyes on eternity. It didn't matter what he went through, his eyes were on eternity. What a great lesson for us. We need to keep our eyes on eternity because it changes everything down here. I'm talking to people quite frequently. They're saying, man, life is so hard. Life is so difficult. I'm sick. I'm hurting. Uh, you know, I don't have a job. I don't have a a great place to live i'm short of money i i hear it i hear it i understand it i'm not putting that down but what i'm saying is take your eyes off all that stuff and put them on eternity because only what you do for christ will last 
All of this stuff. We can endure anything if we know where we're going. We can put up with any sort of junk, any sort of suffering, any sort of body breaking down, any sort of finances breaking. doesn't matter. If we know that we are destined for another place, we can put up with it. And I think in the rigors of what goes on in life, we get so wrapped up with stuff we haven't got, with answers to prayer we haven't seen. We get so focused on that we take our eyes off eternity. And like Peter sinking beneath the waves when he was walking on water with Jesus, he cried out. And Jesus said, why did you doubt? If you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, he would have stayed on top of the water. And if we keep our eyes fixed on eternity then we will stay on top of our circumstances. People say, how are things going? We say, oh, pretty good under the circumstances. Why are we under the circumstances? We should be above the circumstances. We should be on top of this stuff. It doesn't matter in eternity. Most of the stuff we worry about, most of the stuff we care about doesn't matter in eternity. There are only three things that are eternal, the Bible says. Three things, that's it. If you're not investing in these, you're investing in something that's going to fry, something that's going to fall to nothing. Three things that are eternal. God, His Word, the Word of the Lord lasts forever, and the souls of men and women. Either in heaven or hell, they exist forever. Invest in something that matters. Keep your eyes on heaven and it changes how we live and everything we want and everything we desire here on earth. Would you bow your head? I cannot finish up this series without asking a question. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, this is your moment. We don't want you going to hell. We don't want you fading away. We don't want you going to a place that is eternal torment. We want you with us in heaven. But if that is you and you've never asked Jesus into your life, I'm going to pray this prayer. Please pray it with me. Pray it with me. Let's, let's give your heart to Jesus right now because it matters in eternity. So pray these words with me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry that I've sinned. I turn away from my sin to you. I ask you into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for giving me eternity with you. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe you're just making sure this morning, I don't care what age you are, I don't care what background you're in, if you prayed that prayer, we want to follow through and make sure it comes to pass. So just raise your hand wherever you are. If you prayed that prayer, just give me a wave. Good. For the rest of us, I've said all through this series that what makes a difference is when our eyes are on eternity because we are destined for another place. And I'm go- I want to give you an opportunity to live for eternity with Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to start that life, that eternal life right now because if we have our eyes focused on heaven, it changes everything right now. And, and whatever happens in this life, it's just a glimpse of what will happen in eternity. So if that's you, some of you here are, are, are assailed by many troubles, maybe business troubles, 
Maybe it's uh, health, health issues, sickness, lack of money, housing. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I tell you, if you focus on eternity, if you focus on heaven, everything changes. So I want to lead you in a prayer because I know God is speaking to people. If you are suffering, if you're doing it tough now, if you're losing hope, this is your moment. We're not saying you're not safe. We're not saying you don't trust God. What we're saying is let's clear the decks and let's get us focused on eternity. So if that is you, pray this prayer with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I choose not to focus on this world, but to focus on you and to focus on heaven.